0: And since I bought my 2016 F-150 truck, the list of standard amenities that make a truck feel like a luxury vehicle have only grown. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. Griselda Blanco, the godmother, La Madrina. The Black Widow, the Colombian drug lord who came before the Medellin cartel, before Pablo. The woman who helped turn Miami into both the most murderous city in America in the early 1980s with brazen hits, machine gunning down a rival at a mall liquor store in broad daylight, for example, ordering a hit on an entire family. And one of the drug lords who helped build Miami's skyline. 80s drug money built a lot of those beach condos, built a lot of those downtown skyscrapers. Unlike most Colombian drug lords, Griselda did anything but keep the business away from her family. She forced her family into the business, and it cost most of those around her their lives. And yet she lived to the ripe old age of 69, ancient by drug lord standards. So let's get into some cocaine. Let's get into some Colombia, New York, Miami. Let's go full Griselda in this coked-up machine gun gangster edition of Time Suck. You're listening to Time Suck. Hello, Time Suckers. What's going on in the cult the curious this week? I'm Dan Cummins and this is Time Suck. Hail Nimrod. Thanks to all the St. Louis suckers who came out this past week. I had six shows in St. Louis, and there were time suckers at everyone making each show that much better. Uh, Thanks for letting me work out some new material to start the show off with you Uh, And I'm recording in St. Louis I'm recording in a little bit of an echoey room that I can't help It's kind of ironic to me that I'm in the midst of having a a nice studio built that I I can't always use Because I'm on the road all the time lately. (laughs) But that's good, it's good, good to be working Uh, Quick tour announcements And then we are off to visit the godmother, Griselda Blanco All other tour announcements, or excuse me, all other announcements Including uh, news about some new merch Hitting the store this week, and what the Friday's bonus episode is going to be after today's tale. Uh, details at the end of this episode. This week, I will be in Appleton, Wisconsin on Wednesday, one night only, December 13th, at the Skyline Comedy Club. Come out and support me, please. It's a small market, and, uh, If enough people don't show up, I won't be back for a long time. Uh, I'll be be at the Comedy Club on State in Madison, Wisconsin this weekend, December 14th through the 16th, and then I'll be rounding out the year in Comedy Works, uh, Denver, Colorado, December 28th through New Year's Eve. Many 2018 tour dates now posted at dancummins.tv and uh, timesuckpodcast.com. You can link to the tour from both places. Indianapolis, Indianapolis, Indiana uh, to kick off 2018. Uh, I'm going to be at Morty's Comedy Joint, January 5th and 6th, two nights, four shows. I'll be at Providence, Rhode Island. The Comedy Connection, January 19th and 20th. Chicopee, Massachusetts Cabot Comedy Club, January 21st. Philadelphia at the Punchline. January 25th through 27th, Chicago. January 31st through February 3rd at Zanies and Rosemont. New York City Gotham Comedy Club, one night only, February 11th. And then two live podcasts now in the books for 2018. uh, The Small Town Murder, Swapcast in Detroit on February 16th. 2018 at the Magic Bag is... Happening, live Swapcast podcast tickets are on sale now. Two shows now in one night, stand-up at 7 p.m., Swapcast show, 10 p.m. Sisyphus Brewing, Minneapolis, March 3rd. Uh, only $10 tickets for the live Time Suck podcast there. They're not quite on sale yet, uh, but I'm bugging that uh, venue to get them up online. I'll announce first on Instagram, I'm sure, when those are on sale. Small room, only 90 seats, and uh, so hopefully they go fast. And I'll be doing stand-up shows there March 2nd 3rd as well. Check out uh, the tour date section of the website for more info, ticket links in the episode description, and now The Godmother. How do you become a drug lord? How do you get into the business? Do you start off in a going to like a private Catholic school in the suburbs with your doctor for a dad and nurturing the stay-at-home mom? Uh, do you move from homecoming queen one year to ordering hits on rival dealers the next? Do you study finance and business administration so you can stay on top of the inevitable money laundering that's going to come with that Coke cash? Uh, Not usually. Now, usually you start off in the dirt, it seems, uh, with nothing to lose, everything to gain. Usually you're born into a world of drugs where life is fast and cheap, some shitty neighborhood, and uh, Griselda is no exception to that. So let's take a long, hard look at the birth, life, and the death of Griselda Blanco uh, in a time-suck timeline. Trap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time suck timeline. February 15th, 1943. That when, uh, is when Griselda Blanco was born. Even though her, term, her tombstone says February 14th, a lot of discrepancies in the historical accounts of Griselda. Her life is shrouded in mystery, and I think she wanted it that way. She embellished truths, let wild rumors grow to create more fear in her enemies and rivals, and she concealed her identity numerous times to help evade capture by authorities. She was born somewhere in Colombia. Uh, she herself listed at least three different cities in accounts of her birth. Uh, most likely she was born in Cartagena, uh, a coastal city in the Caribbean, an old city founded in 1533, Right, a city where indigenous people had lived, according to archaeological evidence, since at least four thousand BC. The Cocanos, the original harvesters and processors of cocaine, uh, the Cocanos chewed on the leaves of the cocoa plant. And thousands of years ago, they began crushing the leaves into a paste and drying it for a faster high. Soon after that, the Krakano tribe figured out how to harden the paste, crystallize it, smoke it in old pottery pipes. Then a third tribe, the Krakano uh, who couldn't, you know, make it themselves. But would buy it from the Cocanos and the and the Cocanos and the Cocano Hedos started stealing everyone's stuff and offering to fillate fellow tribe members for just you know one more hit of that sweet Cocano rock. And also around this time, the ancient tribes invented a form of disco. Uh, they began wearing all white suits. Uh, they began to wear their sunglasses uh, at night and and indoors, and they started driving nothing but soft top convertibles. Uh, Clearly all that tribe stuff is bullshit, but the area has been inhabited since around 4,000 B.C. uh, in 1533. It was founded uh, by Pedro de Heredia, a Spanish explorer, and it quickly became an important shipping center for sending Peruvian silver back to Spain. And actually the Spaniards truly did encourage the indigenous people of that time to chew the cocoa leaves because it did get them high, kept them more obedient, allowed them to work longer hours in those mines – and How strange is that? One day you have an entire culture and way of life that has remained virtually unchanged for centuries and then the next day some Spanish assholes on some boats show up and just change everything for the worse forever <laughs> for you and your people. Suddenly you're part of their culture and you're not, you're not part of the good part of their culture. You know, yesterday you may have been some respected warrior or village elder. Now you're just some schmuck in a silver mine, literally just, you know, working yourself to death so some king across an ocean living in a country you'll never see or benefit from can get even richer than he already is. Afford to fund more expeditions, find more indigenous people, fuck them over too. God, the world just really isn't fair, is it? It really, really is not. Anyway, Cartagena, that's what I keep trying to talk about. Honestly, the more I look into Cartagena, the more I want to go. Uh, It's a gorgeous coastal city of about a million people with beautiful old Catholic churches, colonial architecture, average temperature of 82 degrees year-round, museums, beaches, shopping plazas, nightlife, and currently not too much crime. Looks amazing. Uh, if only Griselda could have grown up, uh, you know, to own like a cool beach restaurant or develop beachfront condos or run a nightclub or something. Maybe she, she could still be there today, notably grandmother. So interesting uh, with all of us how there are all these various paths we can take in our lives. So many points where if we would have zigged left instead of zagged right, or if our parents would have zigged left instead of zagged right, we'd be an entirely different person, living an entirely different life now. You know, a whole new set of circumstances. Uh, wherever she was born, Griselda was baptized in Santa Marta, also on Colombia's Caribbean coast, another badass-looking place to visit, a place of a little under half a million people, founded on July 29th, 1525, by the Spanish conquistador Rodrigo de Bastizas, uh, Bastidas. It was the first Spanish settlement in Colombia, another postcard of a city with the stunning mountains of the Sierra Nevada de Santa Marta Range. right. Ancient ruins, mangrove forests, hiking trails, beaches, beautiful Colombian women, the baptismal center of a woman who would lead a horrifically ugly life. The man Griselda called her father, who, who might have actually been her stepdad, was a taxi driver named Luis uh, Carlos Blanco. Uh, Griselda would later tell friends that she had been raised in poverty, unable to afford so much as shoes. Others would say that Luis and Griselda's mother, Anna, uh, provided Griselda and her three younger siblings with you know their basic needs. They were poor, but they had their basic stuff. Uh, and she would carry the Blanco name her whole life. And then at some point, uh, very early in Griselda's childhood, uh, when she was around three, the family moved uh, to Barrio uh, Antioquia a decidedly not very nice at all neighborhood far from the beach in Medellin. Uh, remember Medellin from the Pablo Escobar suck? The city Pablo was raised in, the city he'd be shot down in, uh, the city he'd come to control for years through ruthless violence and bribes. Home of the Medellin drug cartel at the height of its power, the cocaine capital of the world, and at times one of the most violent cities in the entire world. Now Medellin is a city full of a lot of safe neighborhoods, declared the world's most innovative city by the Urban Land Institute and Wall Street Journal in 2012. Well, Barrio Antioquia, uh, is a neighborhood, Medellin, that is still, by all accounts, I came across a shit show, an underworld den of crime, vice, and corruption. And when Griselda was young, uh, her mother Anna was said to have worked as a prostitute in this neighborhood full of brothels. Uh, the neighborhood had earned its name in the early part of the century for attracting rural migrants from the pueblos of the surrounding Antioquia district, uh, who came to work in its hosiery fa- factories. In the 1940s, uh, it had attracted poor migrants from the Car- Caribbean, uh, like Griselda's family. The barrio was destitute, crowded, and at the time, isolated from the rest of the city. In 1951, Medellin's mayor, with the tacit blessing of the bishop and the city's mercantile elite, decided that these very qualities made it an ideal place to establish a red-light district. This, uh, The history of this barrio is so crazy to me. And it's hard to find info on, man, possibly a source of embarrassment uh, for the locals. I'm not sure. Uh, local government maybe? Uh, apparently from what I could find over the objections of local prominent citizens and Catholic priests, the mayor signed a decree designating uh, Barrio and barrio, uh, Antioquia, uh, Medellin's single tolerance zone. So basically they declared it an anarchy zone. Do what you want to do in Barrio Antioquia. Antiquia, that fucking word kills me. I, I rehearsed it. I said it like a hundred times literally before this episode. It doesn't look like it should have five syllables. When you just, It's a small wor- wor- word that somehow they've crammed uh, two words you know, worth of syllables into. Uh, but anyway, the police aren't going to fuck with you. You do stuff in Barrio Antiquio. Uh, just keep your, you know, illicit doings away from the rest of the city. The idea was to remove prostitutes, homosexuals, drug addicts, and thieves from the downtown business district, concentrate them, isolate them from the general population. Only in Barrio Antiquia uh I fucking nailed at that time. Were, were women even permitted in bars in Medellin in 1951? Uh, bars that, under the terms of the new decree, never needed to close or even turn down their music. Man, sounds like a fun place to go if you're 18 or 21, except for the lack of police protection. That doesn't sound fun. It's it's probably like a great place to hang out until you got stabbed or shot or murdered or raped. Then... Like way less fun. That's when the fun stopped. Uh, On the first night of this new unusual decree, uh, 30 private homes were converted to brothels in the first night. Yellow light bulbs were removed, red ones screwed in, a true red light district like uh, something out of Amsterdam, born overnight. And then Barrio Antiquias uh, streets are filled with cars, arrived from all parts of the city to party harder than they'd ever party before. And naturally a statue of Lucifina herself was erected in the town square. And drugged out citizens fucked beneath it to pay tribute to the sultry goddess of debauchery. The sister of Satan smiled down upon all those beneath her enjoying a new world with no morality. Uh, a world of why not instead of do not. Hail Luciferina, dark temptress of time suck. Orgy beneath my feet, children. Luciferina commands it. Drink of the wine. Suck of each other. Stab each other. Let your blood flow into my dark altar. Some of you get that. Uh, those of you who don't, uh, well, uh, welcome to time suck. It's it weird here. Uh, prostitutes uh, arrived literally by the truckload carried over from all, uh, all around the rest of the city within a month and a half the little barrio uh, boost, uh, boasted 215 brothels most of which had been family homes some of which had even been schools school one year, uh, brothel the next uh, the decree only lasted two years it was rescinded in 1953 but it was too late to turn things back around uh, according to locals who lived there barrio Antiquia only got worse in 1953, right? Concentrating all of the city's vice into one place created strong criminal ties, the beginnings of a real organized crime in that city. That that doesn't just go away with a new degree. That's kind of foolish. You you don't build a criminal sanctuary, encourage them to all live, you know, with each other, let them start making a shit ton of money on various forms of vice. And, and then just two years later, I'd be like, hey, cool cat, uh, I know you've been having a lot of fun the, the past few years, partying all night long and gambling and pimping and running brothels and strip clubs, dealing dope and all that, but after seeing how our crime rates skyrocketed around town the last two years, how's about you fellas give it a rest, uh, go back to being cubes, uh, time to be square again, daddy-o. Oh, what a drag, but I feel, uh, I feel what you're laying down, yeah, boss man, sure thing. Do, do you mind if we just sell the rest of our drugs real quick so we don't have to lose money on all the hot product we've already paid for? Well, well, don't get frosted, Cool Cat, but actually we'd appreciate it if you just threw it all away or burned it. Oh, wow, daddy-o. Ooh, try not to flip my wig right now. We'll just trash our stash, I guess. What about the 200 prostitutes I have working in my brothels making me thousands of dollars a day? I got so many stacked Bettys really revving the local boys' engines, you know? Ooh, well, sorry, Cool Cat. I hate to go all Mickey Mouse on you, uh, but I'd like to have them knock it all off. Maybe turn some of those brothels into some malt shops or drive-ins. You know, uh, let them work as waitresses, you know, let them roller skate around, pay them a decent wage. Sure, daddy-o, that'd be swell, I guess. What about the, what about the gambling halls and 24-hour nightclubs I've been running, the ones making me millions of dollars a year? Yeah, well, I, I hate to kick you in the wazoo again, but we gotta close all that down. Maybe open up a gymnasium for local youth, perhaps a chess club. Reopen a, a hosiery factory, make some nice leggings for your swell gals. How about, instead of that, and, and this is just an idea, I'm not married to a daddy-o, but how about you fuck off? How about I take my well-armed army of thugs and I put a bullet in your fucking family's heads, a bullet in the heads of every one of your fucking candy-ass police officers, and I fist-fuck you to death in the middle of the street and then just go back to running my criminal empire like nothing happened. How about that, daddy-o? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm hip to your jive, cool cat. Uh No need to flip your lid. Uh, I'm going to make like a tree right now and leave. Uh, please don't kill my family. Yeah, you know, maybe they didn't use quite all that 50s lingo in Colombia. I don't know, but, uh, but nothing went away. The place is still super dangerous uh, Still on a uh, travel advisory list As a place to stay the hell out of At all times of day All days of the year (laughs) It's been a nightmare for over 70 years now And this is where Griselda was raised Where she died many years later Author Alonzo Salazar, a former mayor of Medellin Between 2008 and 2012 An accomplished chronicler uh, Of its underworld Wrote that in the mid-1950s Years before the first uh, cocoa, uh, cocoa paste You know, arrived in Barrio Antiquia Uh, From Bolivia and Peru, the neighborhood had already began, you know, breeding a uniquely cosmopolitan class of hustlers, smugglers, and thieves. Men flew from the barrio to uh, Caracas, Panama City, New York, often using false documents, carrying suitcases filled with marijuana, stealing in the streets. Returned with fine clothes and dollars to Barrio Antiquia, they spoke a suave and cynical language of all, you know, kind of their own design. To kill was to chuliar, or kiss. A corpse was a muñeco, or doll. These men called themselves Galifardos, a word that connotes kind of dandy and bum all at once. So they so they really were some cool cats throwing around their jive. Uh, one of these young hustlers would be Griselda's first husband, uh, cool cat uh, Jose Dario Trujillo, nicknamed Pestañas. Pestañas. Eyelashes. That's weird. That's a weird nickname. Hey, what's up, eyelashes? Ah, good, good to see you. Good to see you, wrists. Just call each other body parts. Hey, how you, how you doing, sideburns? Ah i'm good, I'm good, uh, good to see you, belly lint. No, I don't want that nickname i don't know. I don't want belly I don't want belly lint okay, okay, How about I call you uh, butt hair No, no, no eyelashes i want to let's go back to eyelashes. Pestañas emerged as one of the more glorious calafardos of the 1950s, kind of heading a loose cartel of like minded traveling bandits, some banditos. Um, I don't know why I gotta kind of whisper when I do that accent. Uh, uh, One of these rumors surrounding Griselda is that she uh, was a prostitute herself when she met Pestañas. Something she always denied, but you know, okay. Something you probably would deny, I guess. Maybe uh, this this one probably is just rumor based on her age. If it was true, she would have had to been a very young prostitute because she married Pastanias when she's only around, you know, fifteen or sixteen. She saw those fucking sweet eyelashes, and she's like, "I gotta, I gotta, I gotta stare into those." Uh, and she gave birth to her first son, Dixon, when she was seventeen in nineteen sixty. Their first son. Uh, other rumors persisted from her childhood that lasted until her death. The most violent one is at the age of eleven, Griselda, Christa- uh, Griselda. Uh, Kidnapped a young boy for ransom. When his wealthy family parents failed to pay, she killed him. Criminal and murderer. At 11, uh, Yeah, I don't know, unsubstantiated rumor, uh, commonly repeated rumor, and entirely possible, you know? Especially if it's true that she was raised by a prostitute and she ended up running away from home by the age of 14 uh, to escape the sexual advances of a man her mom was dating. Another rumor. Uh, all of that while living in one of the world's, you know, uh, developed worlds—at least most dangerous neighborhoods. I probably will just one of the most dangerous neighborhoods. Period. You're gonna grow up fast in a place like that. You're gonna, you know, good chance you're gonna grow up violent in a place like that. Uh, between 1960 and 1967, she'd give birth to two more sons: Uber and Osvaldo. Uh, Uber. He actually went on to found the car service. That's pretty fucking cool. That never happened. Uh, but his name was Uber. Uh, while raising them, Griselda assisted Pestañas in some passport forging and marijuana smuggling businesses he had going. Uh, Pistanius died in 1970 after a flare-up of hepatitis. He suffered in New York. Man, dying young of the hip. That sounds crazy to me. So many diseases now we, we no longer have to worry about uh, dying of in a, in a first-world country. There, there's rumors also that he did not die of hepatitis, but that she had him killed over a dispute involving drug money, which is fairly likely uh, considering her, her violent uh, past. We'll find out more about here soon. Pestaña's body was flown home from Queens. His funeral was remembered as one of the first of the uh, you know of the big extravagant Barrio Antiquia uh, send-offs, a street festival replete with uh, aguardiente, marijuana smoke, marachis, uh, singing pistol shots in the air. Griselda Blanco would continue to live with Pestaña's aging mother until the day of her arrest in California some 15 years later. So that's interesting. Man, shooting bullets up into the air. I've always wondered, like, when I've seen footage of people firing guns into the air, like celebrations, don't those bullets have to come back down? Isn't that kind of dangerous, you know? I mean, of course they have to come back down. and but Couldn't they hit and kill you? Well, according to one article I found, they could, of course, hit you, but it's uh, unlikely that they would and unlikely that they would kill you, according to the first article. It said, said they'd make it all the way up to about 10,000 feet up in the air. They could stay in the air around a full minute, and then the initial trajectory plus that distance dictates that, you know, Probably going to drop a long ways away from you, so you're probably not going to get hit by your own bullet you shot up. And this first article said that they won't reach their initial firing velocity on the way back down, making it unlikely they would kill you if you got hit. However, a Newsweek article I found interviewing various members of the LAPD said that celebratory gunfire for sure results in woundings and killings. Uh, 1999, a 9-year-old kid was struck in the head and killed by a falling bullet. The 39th person to die from a stray bullet... A celebratory bullet up to that time in Los Angeles. Same article said that skulls can be penetrated by a velocity of 200 feet per second. And that stray bullets can reach 300 to 700 feet per second. So, uh, damn, that's uh, that's plenty. That's plenty to pierce a skull. So, you know, probably shouldn't do it, I guess. Uh, some jurisdictions will charge you, not with manslaughter, but homicide. If your stray bullet results in someone's death. So what a strange way to die, man. Walking down the street, stray bullet just falls from the sky, falls out of the sky and just takes you out. Somehow that seems worse to me than actually getting shot. Anyway, uh, in the late 1960s, the woman and now single mother, the lady from Barrio Antiquia, the killer who had come to be known as the godmother, Griselda Blanco, was introduced to cocaine. Uh, it entered her life not long after Pastania's death. Once fucking sweet eyelashes was out of here, coke was in. Uh, Cocaine was a novelty in Colombia in the mid-1960s. It had been in wide medicinal and recreational use in the U.S. until the 1920s when it was prohibited for being addictive. If you want a more detailed history on that, uh, visit or revisit Time Suck bonus episode number five, the Pablo Escobar Suck. In most of South America, coke would be outlawed as well, but its use was not widespread, and it was only produced in small quantities. In the 1950s and 1960s, there was some illicit production of coca paste in uh, Peru and Bolivia, and a cottage industry based in Chile processed it into hydrochloride powder, which was smuggled north by way of Panama. But it was a fairly small time. There just wasn't much of an international market for Coke yet. Uh, Keyword being yet. That was all about to change. The combination of political chaos in Chile and the collapse of Medellin's traditional textile industry helped push the processing trade over to Medellin, where a businessman named Alberto Bravo, an old friend of Pastañas, old friend of Eyelashes, Alberto Belilint Bravo, Old, no, he wasn't. Uh, was busy converting empty garment factories into cocaine labs by the late 60s. Uh, the counterculture revolution in the U.S. in the 1960s opened the floodgates for all kinds of drugs, marijuana, of course, you know, psychedelics for sure, opiates like heroin, yeah, also uppers uh, like speed and coke. And demand slowly grew over the decade. In 1970, Griselda flew to Bolivia with a female friend, bought her first $500 worth of unrefined cocaine. Uh, second time, she sent the friend to Bolivia alone to pick up ten times as much. She also started taking trips to New York City as Alberto Bravo uh, established some uh, drug contacts there to sell coke. 1971, Griselda appears to have married Alberto Bravo uh, in Forest Hills, Queens. Bravo was better educated than Griselda, spoke English, a language Griselda was never fully able to master. Uh, Griselda and Alberto would buy cocaine paste in Peru, process it in Barrio Antiquia, uh, export it a little bit at a time. Underemployed tailors gratefully accepted Griselda's orders for custom lingerie, into which she designed pockets and accommodated packets of cocaine. A neighborhood shoemaker hauled out dozens of thick platform heels for her coke mule girls. Uh, Griselda cultivated mules, most of them women who flew to New York with as much as two kilos packed discreetly in their girdles, shoes, and wigs. And Flew home with them, stuffed with cash. She would uh, carry it that way herself. She uh, herself worked as a, as a Coke mule. Uh, Griselda's three young sons learned to, to uh, line hard-sided Samsonite suitcases with cocaine, removing the interior shells and resealing them. Man, making it a family business. You know? uh, kids, get in here. I need you to help Mama stuff her suitcase full of Coke. Hey, 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 do you want to help Mama stuff her suitcase full of Coke, or do you want Mama to get caught for trafficking narcotics and end up in prison, leaving you to fend for yourselves in one of the world's most dangerous neighborhoods? Do you want, do you want to help mom with Coke? Or probably get kidnapped and killed and possibly raped in the street. You know, you want to stuff Coke in mama's suitcases or you want to get stuffed by sick men in a Barrio basement? Your choice, kiddos. Your choice. Mama's not making you do anything you don't want to do. Mama loves you. I love this used to, uh, this used the local declining kind of hosier, hosiery uh, industry to help, you know, smuggling, you know, just putting out of work tailors back to work, creating lingerie for drug trafficking. That's so weird and awesome in a, in a way baby, I love that teddy, but what's, what's going on with your nipples? Oh, oh, that. That's just little packets of uh, pure, uncut Colombian cocaine. Uh, sorry, it, it came with the outfit. That's why this little number costs $50,000. Oh, now, now I get it. I, I thought $50,000 was pretty expensive for a see-through teddy. Uh, in the early 1970s, Griselda moved uh, her residence from Barrio Antiquia to the more genteel uh, Loreles, though she maintained her offices in the barrio. Got to maintain that street cred, man. Can't leave the Barrio Antiquia. Home sweet home. Gotta say, gotta stay gangster as fuck to run a coke empire. Uh, She began to accumulate shoes and jewelry and not being a dummy. She she got a lot of real estate, including uh, cocaine processing ranches on the outskirts of town. In New York, where Griselda and Alberto flew frequently, they developed an an effective distribution system that included stash houses and drop-off points in Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan, the Bronx. Griselda was now uh, employing a full-time document forger and had paid connections in Colombian and Venezuelan consulates. Wow, man. Making some of those consulate connections. Uh, the couple and their increasingly prolific fellow smugglers and underworld business associates are laundering money through New York and New Jersey banks and Columbian businesses in Jackson Heights. Sweet, sweet money laundering. Make that Coke money legit. Put it through Walter White's Breaking Bad car wash, man. Get it, get it clean. Get it so fresh and so clean. Uh, 1973... Griselda's New York years, caught the attention of the US government and a federal investigation was created that became uh, the Drug Enforcement Agency's the DEA's first major cocaine smuggling case. She was a pioneer. Uh opened in 1973, it was called Operation Banshee because it involved so many women. O- often a cause of embarrassment among the male agents pursuing them, you know, sexism may have helped uh, Griselda thrive. A lot of the investigating officers had a hard time convincing their superiors that she was a big deal, you know. Just boss, she's moving a lot of coke. She's starting to kill some people. What? Little old Griselda? Come on. The sweet little Colombian lady? The one with the lingerie business? Get the, get out of here. So she has a little blow, all right? Maybe she sells a bit. Shit. I work for the DAA. I sell a bit. I sold a little bit of Club 54 last night. Come on. This, this is New York, baby. It's 1973. We haven't discovered AIDS yet. We haven't learned how bad this shit actually is for you yet. Live a little, Agent Debbie Downer. Well, Griselda's early New York years may have been her best years of her life. Uh, she's moved a million dollars worth of coke every six months. Nothing compared to the, you know, the, the, the amount Pablo Escobar would soon move a few years later, but still a hell of a lot of money. You know, She had a great business partner and husband, Alberto Bravo. The two had graduated from stuffing girdles and were sending cocaine in boats now from the Colombian coast, sending marijuana in shipping containers. One of Griselda's employees would pick up coke uh, along the Mexican border. And uh, there would would be reports of frogmen swimming in waterproof cases underwater. They were jumping off ships. They were doing stuff like just literally swimming coke in New York City. It's fucking crazy. In October 1974, a warrant was issued uh, for Griselda's arrest, and in April 1975, Griselda Blanco, Alberto Bravo, and 36 others were formally indicted for conspiring to manufacture, import, and distribute cocaine. 15 of them were arrested, the rest scattered, becoming fugitives. Alberto and Griselda made it back to Medellin, uh, where they avoided capture. And back in Medellin, Griselda uh, gets a little violent, starts to get real violent. Uh, she puts a virtual chokehold on the airport, keeping everyone in her employee, from the police to the pilots, making sure rival coke smugglers stood no chance of getting their kilos on planes. Now, the old barrio Antiquia really helped her out here. It just happened to be located, her old neighborhood, next to Medellin's international airport at the time. Uh, the airport's still there. But a new international airport has been built far from that barrio. Yeah, good good move by the city officials. Probably don't want that to be people's first impression of Medellin. Uh, Griselda carried a pistol, surrounded herself with thugs, started gaining a reputation for arbitrary violence. Uh, like One time during a party at one of her ranches, legend has it, she uh, had four young men just shot dead by her guards, accusing them of betrayal. Once they'd been carted off in a truck bound for the dump, she just announced imperiously to her guests that nothing happened here. Nothing happened. Don't worry about the gunshots, everybody. Uh, I just had to kill four of my employees in front of you. No, no big deal. Uh, enjoy the taco bar. Enjoy it. Uh, all the Coke, all the liquor you want, everything's free. Just please do not betray or annoy me, or I will have you shot in the face as well. But uh, as you were. No, seriously. Seriously. Go relax. Have fun. Ser- seriously. Have fucking fun, or I'll shoot you in the goddamn face. Uh, enjoy, enjoy the night. Uh, Griselda is credited with masterminding the city's first motorcycle killings. Medellin's hitmen had traditionally killed from cars until one of Griselda's, uh, hitmen got stuck in traffic in the middle of a job and then got arrested. Well, the first, uh, fast Japanese motorcycles were just appearing in Medellin then, and, Gr- and Griselda informed her, uh, Sicarios, you know, her hitmen, no more killing from cars. All motorcycle hits from now on. Stroke an evil genius, really, way easier for armed men, you know, to get away from the police on crowded Medellin streets using a motorcycle than it would be uh, to do on a car. Uh, Back in Medellin around this time is when she first met a young Pablo Escobar as well. Uh, Pablo was only six years younger than Griselda, but wasn't essentially born into crime like she was, and he got into the coke biz a little bit after her. Legend has it they met at a cockfight, which from what I understand involves uh, two naked men squaring off in a dirt pit using their hard wings to slap each other silly. Uh, strange sport, but, you know, I guess people like it. No, of course that's not what it is. Cockfights when uh, two roosters slapper each their desk with their rooster wings or something like that. I know it involves roosters. Both Griselda and Pablo uh, worked with a local smuggler named Alberto Prieto, uh, with whom Escobar moved liquor and appliances from the Canal Zone in Panama. Griselda owned a numbers game with Prieto and would claim that she had financed later uh, Escobar's first cocaine purchase, a half kilo with Prieto's encouragement. Man, getting Pablo into the coke game. Interesting footnote to the story of Griselda. Well, uh, Griselda and Pablo did not become fast friends, and as Pablo's uh, business exploded, Griselda tried to have him killed. And when it failed, she and her husband Alberto Bravo, fearing for their lives, left Medellin and went to Bogota. And then Bravo would soon die in Bogota in a parking lot shootout. Now, some accounts say that one of Pablo's men shot him. Other accounts say Griselda herself shot him after another drug money dispute. Along with rumors of killing a kid when she herself was only 11, now there are rumors she'd killed her first two husbands. The first one also the father of her first three sons. There's also accounts that she ordered the kidnapping and murder of Bravo's brother shortly before Bravo's death. Man, killing her own family. This lady did not fuck about. Griselda herself was rumored to have taken a bullet in the shootout with Bravo. Uh, She denied until her death, but when she she died, an autopsy did reveal a scar from an old bullet wound. And, and what were Griselda and Alberto fighting about exactly? Uh, who knows? We'll never know. But maybe things wouldn't have escalated the way they did if the two of them would have gotten a better night's sleep, right? Maybe they just needed a night on today's sponsor, one of their products, Lisa. That's right. Today's Time Suck is brought to you by Lisa. Lisa is an innovative, direct-to-consumer online mattress brand that, unlike Griselda Blanco, is also socially conscious, driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody uh, instead of Griselda's message of put everyone to sleep forever, uh, for every 10 mattresses Lisa sells, they donate one to a shelter through their 110 program. Best of all, Lisa's patented universal adaptive feel is designed for all types of sleepers and features three premium foam layers, including two-inch 2-inch Avena foam top layer for cooling and breathability, 2-inch memory foam middle layer for body contouring and pressure relief, and 6-inch dense core supporting foam for durability and structure for sleepers of all sizes. And 100% American-made mattress ships compressed in a box to your door, so you can save a trip to the store, and way easier to get that box to the door uh, of your bedroom, right, to set it up than it is to carry a mattress through a bedroom door. Uh, I love mine, a bedroom doorway. I love mine. I, I've been sleeping on it for a few months now, and it beats the hell out of the hotel mattresses I sleep on when I'm on the road. I'll tell you that. Uh, it's similar to memory foam, which I, you know, makes sense because it has that inside of it. Uh, it conforms to your shape, but it doesn't make you hot like memory foam makes me hot. And you just, you just don't feel movement on the other side of the bed, which is what I love. Right? Like when my wife gets up in the middle of the night, I stay asleep. I love that. I sleep very hard on my Lisa. So try a Lisa mattress in your own home uh, for 100 nights risk free, which is awesome. That's huge. Free shipping, as always. And, and Time Suckers, best part for you, 100 bucks off. You get 100 bucks off when you go to Lisa, L E E S A. That's L E E S A.com slash Time Suck. So Lisa.com slash Time Suck. If only Griselda and Alberto slept on one, but they didn't. Yeah. And she, yeah, so she probably killed him. Uh, shortly after Bravo's death, Griselda shacked up with the brother of one of her hitmen, a bank robber named Dario Sepulveda. In 1978, Dario and Griselda have a son, right? This is their third, third main man now. Uh, they named this son Michael Corleone Sepulveda. Wow. They actually named their son after Al Pacino's character in The Godfather. That is hardcore. That is commitment to the drug lifestyle. You're not a casual criminal. You're not a casual Coke dealer when you name your kid Michael Corleone. Like, you know, in the bottom of your soul, you are in the game forever. You know, just like you, like, like you can't name your kid like Tom Brady or, you know, or Peyton Manning or Adrian Peterson. And then just, you know, six months later, just be like, you know what? I don't care for football anymore. No, it's a lifetime commitment. So fucked up. So weird for play dates, right? Hi, little Bobby. How, how are you doing? I'm Griselda, Mikey's mom. I like your Scooby-Doo lunchbox. Did, did you know that Mikey's actual name is Michael Corleone? You know, like the godfather, the ruthless mob boss who ordered not only the deaths of many, many rivals, but also his own brother-in-law, Michael Corleone, the man who had you killed if you crossed him no matter who you were. Didn't matter. Didn't matter who. You, anyway, you two have fun, all right? Let me know when you're ready for lunch and I'll make some mac and cheese and hot dogs. He would kill anyone. Have fun, kids. Shortly after Michael's birth, the uh, family escaped Colombia from Miami. Leave one country where, where a more powerful rival drug lord wants you dead and go to a country where there's still a federal warrant from Operation Banshee out for your arrest. Uh, Griselda entered the United States under a new name with a Venezuelan passport, and the feds had no idea. She was now a Venezuelan housewife named Lucretia, you know, officially. She wouldn't return to Colombia until the U.S. government put her on a plane to head to Colombia. a quarter century later. So goodbye for now, Barrio Antiquia. So the Miami years, let's talk about them. That's what she became really known for. Griselda's time in Miami would be much bloodier than her time in New York City after the death of her second husband, Alberto Bravo. She was now fully in charge of her drug business. Her third husband, Dario Sepulveda was was more of a hired gun and body man. Or bodyguard, body man. That's a weird. He's a he's a body man. He liked uh, he was into bodies. Uh he liked touched them, he liked holding them, he liked uh taking the life out of them. No, but he was he was more of a bodyguard than a leader or mastermind. You know, now it's time for her godmother years, time for time for some carnage. She became increasingly violent from 1978 when she arrived in Miami to 1984 when she left. Uh, less than a week after arriving in Miami, she walked into a McDonald's and killed some poor dude dressed up as Ronald McDonald in front of a birthday party of about 30 kids. And then she just announced to the group, there's a new clown in town, motherfuckers. And then she insisted that the kids stop crying when she spent the next 20 minutes or so trying to make some balloon animals. She finally gave up, and she demanded that the parents make the balloon animals themselves, uh, killing each and every one of them when they failed to do so. And then she told the kids, Now, now you can cry, you soft American fucks. Where I grew up, you had your parents killed in front of you at a birthday party every day, and you never cried about it. And then one of the kids was like, Wait, how no, how does that work? You, I thought you, you only have one set of parents. I mean, you could only have them killed one. And then Roselda shot that kid and left. All right? Anyway. I just made up all that McDonald's shit. Sorry, I'm just not sure even where that came from. But there was a lot of murder when she showed up. Uh, the killings attributed to Griselda, the Sepulveda brothers, and their organization would continue unchecked from 1978 into 84 when law, uh, Florida law enforcement officials tallied more than 40 murders. A uh, single lieutenant of Griselda's, uh, Jorge Rivera uh, Aiella, acknowledged taking part in 29. That was her main hitman in the real body count. Maybe even closer to 200. Part of the violence was due to increased competition in the drug trade. In Miami, the emergent Medellin cartel, uh, led by Escobar and the Ochoa brothers, was beginning to monopolize shipments of coke to uh, Florida, sending plane loads of coke from Columbia through the Bahamas and into Florida. The kilos were coated, marked for distributors who'd ordered them, and Griselda was now just one of many left to squabble and fight over what was left over after the bigger dealers actually got their shipments. While a little slice of pie may have been all that was left to her, Griselda and her Sepulveda brothers distinguished themselves among the other local dealers with their extreme brutality to get all they could of that little slice. In 1979, uh, when they set out to murder a rival cocaine distributor, they reinforced the walls of a white Ford Econoline van and stenciled Happy Time Complete Party Supply on one of the sides. And then they headed out for the Dadeland uh, shopping mall where Griselda's men not only killed the distributor they were after and his bodyguard in a liquor store, but sprayed the mall parking lot with automatic weapon fire. Two store employees were instantly wounded. Uh, Panesso and his companion, uh, his bodyguard, didn't stand a chance. It looked like Swiss cheese, a medical examiner told the Miami Herald. Interesting details of this shootout. uh, they They painted on the words on the right side of the van that read, Happy Time Complete Supply Party, and on the left, Happy Time Complete Party Supply. Like there was a telephone number listed. The line was disconnected. I just love that they, they put this elaborate plan together but didn't think to match each side of the van. Uh, the mall they hit was Miami's largest in Kendall, a bedroom community, 10, miles, uh, 10 minutes out of downtown. Uh, the driver, you know, drove slowly around the outskirts of the 50-acre mall, pulled up in front of Crown's Liquors, then squeezed between a beauty salon and a deli. Shortly after the van arrived, the target pulled up in a white Mercedes sedan with tinted black windows, and then went into his, uh, you know, into the place where he'd place his usual order, for several thousand dollars worth of Shivas, Regal, and rare con- uh, cognacs, cognacs, uh, he and his body felt, uh, bodyguard felt so comfortable that they left their guns in the car. Just you know, just getting my weekly several several thousand dollars worth of liquor. No big whoop. I'm not envious of the violent aspects of the life of a drug dealer, but having thousands to spend each week on you know tippy top shelf liquor that sounds pretty fantastic. Uh, they'd be in the store for less than a minute when two men from Happy Time Van <laughs> walked in. Without a word, the taller one walked up to the target. 37-year-old Coke distributor, uh, yeah, Jimenez Pineso, uh, whipped out a 380 Beretta handgun with a silencer, shot the Colombian drug lord four times in the face. Four times in the face. That seems excessive. Must have not been much face left after the fourth shot. Hernandez, the bodyguard, and the store clerk began running. The other gunman sprayed the store with a 45 caliber Mac-10 machine pistol. Oh, my man, a machine pistol. That's intense. Emptying the, the 30 round clip in a few seconds. Then the two gunmen calmly walked back to the idling van and jumped in the back. Uh, an accomplice slammed the accelerator as the Ford careened out of the mall. The two men fired indiscriminately out of the van's rear doors, smashing store windows, tearing up cars, sending shoppers fleeing in terror. And then they delivered a bunch of party supplies. You know, after the whole Ronald McDonald execution, they had a lot of birthday party goodwill to rebuild in Miami. No, no, they left the van in the parking lot, hopped into another getaway car, and were gone. And the brazen mall killing didn't just attract the attention and raise the alarm of the local police. It uh, it caught the attention of the White House. You know, you don't get to fucking shoot up a mall in America and not have the White House notice. Uh, The White House knew they had to do something soon. These cartel gangsters were better armed than the local police officers. You know, they got these uh, automatic weapons while local police are still packing six-shot revolvers. You know, the cops in Miami were so overwhelmed by the new Coke game. Uh, Of the early 80s, federal authorities estimated that by 1980, 70% of all cocaine and marijuana entering the country passed through South Florida. That's a lot of coke they had to deal with. And by 1982, 80% of South Florida coke dealers were overwhelmed with the pure awesomeness that was Michael Motherfucking McDonald's debut album, if that's what it takes. How How do I please you? 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 Four stars in Rolling Stone magazine. Four stars. If that's what it takes, I don't need to know anymore. Can't wait to horribly sing in the new Time Sex Studio when that's built. Oh, but seriously, the DEA, DEA said that the annual Miami dope trade brought in about $12 billion a year, outpacing the area's two largest legitimate businesses, $11 billion for real estate and $9 billion for tourism. And a strange, interesting side note, the drug trade really helped the real estate game. All right, a lot of Miami's early 80s and mid-80s condos and downtown high-rises, high, rise, high rises, as I said in the beginning, were built with drug money. Uh, you know, the, the, the drug dealers laundered it, deposited it in local Miami banks, billions of dollars in drug money that the banks were then able to loan to local real estate developers. So really a lot of that $11 billion in real estate development also attributed to the $12 billion in Coke sales. I mean, Coke truly did build – uh, Miami in the 80s so weird uh, although Miami had previously already had a reputation for money laundering an astonishing volume of narco cash now is passing through the city Miami's continental bank was typical of many small independent banks 70% of them Latin American owned uh, that had opened in recent years in the area it averaged 12 million in annual deposits during the mid 1970s by 1980 it was flooded with more than 600 million dollars <laughs> you think, think about that Right, a couple years, uh, you know, earlier they're getting twelve million a year, and then suddenly one year six hundred million. Uh, the Federal Reserve branch that covered Miami and Miami Beach had a had a five billion dollar currency surplus, most in fifty and a hundred dollar bills, larger than the eleven other Federal Reserve banks combined. So much fucking cash is flown into these banks. Re- you know, Federal Reserve districts elsewhere uh, or in the nation are running deficits. Just crazy money being made by these cartels, and they were, you know. Able to hire armies with it to protect themselves and their profits, uh, you know, uh, and and they were able to hire a lot of people from this expanding and uh, sudden kind of unexpected massive influx of manpower that happened in nineteen eighty. This is a weird little thing in this story. April twentieth, nineteen eighty, the Castro regime, Fidel Castro, announced that all Cubans wishing to immigrate to the United States were free to board boats at the port of Mariel, west of Havana. Uh, launching the Mariel boat lift. Now, 125,000 Cuban refugees are sent to Miami, many arriving from Mariel the very next day. And as it turned out, Castro, a future suck for sure, wasn't exactly sending over the cream of the crop. A uh, number of the exiles had been released from Cuban prisons and mental health facilities. More criminals and murderers flooding Miami streets, and they're looking for work. And cocaine-rich and ambitious kingpins like the Godmother, or like the godmother Totally ready to hire, right? You know, just, can, I, can I see your resume? Uh, two teardrop tattoos under your right eye, uh, four bullet wound scars in your face. Uh, looks good to me. You're hired. Uh, Miami's murder rate skyrockets after this Cuban invasion. In uh, 1980, the Miami murder rate was uh, 25% higher than in any other major city in the U.S. A shitload of people are still being killed in East St. Louis, Detroit, Newark, and other notoriously violent cities, but but nowhere like they're being killed in Miami. Miami had the highest overall crime rate for violent crime in the nation in 1980, with robberies increasing by 105%, Aggravated assaults are up 106% and rapes by 33% up from 1979. So most violent crime is doubling or a little bit more than doubling. In the early 1980s, Miami-Dade County would regularly record over 500 homicides a year with 1981 logging a staggering 621 murders. Roughly two murders a day every day all year long. So much murder. For the state of Florida as a whole, murders jumped up from a total of 1,084 in 1979 to 1522, just two years later in 1981, while the population rose, right, uh, n- you know, just under 15% in those two years. The murder rate increased 50%, and it's safe to say Miami's new drug war had a lot to do with it. So statues of Lusophina are magically popping up all around uh, all around the state, just, you know, praise Lucifina, murder for her, snort the white powder, snort it, fuck, kill, praise the dark mistress. Oh, man. Man. Uh, Griselda did uh, did actually have a lot to do with this rise in violent crime. She she loved murder. She loved to order hits. Sometimes in outlandish fashion, you know, when Griselda sought to kill Papo Mejia, a former drug trade ally who had recently stolen a few kilos from her. She sent a thug to greet him at the airport with a fucking bayonet. You heard that right. As in a knife attached to the barrel of a gun. Dude took a bayonet and stabbed Mejia ten times. Mejia survived, barely Griselda's son, Osvaldo, uh, later ordered a gold-plated bay- bay- he ordered ordered uh, gold-plated bayonets to commemorate the attack. What a strange weapon to be attacked with! You know, what kind of knife did you get stabbed with? The kind at the end of a gun, a bayonet. Did you get attacked after falling into a time machine and ending up in the Civil War? Who uses a bayonet? The asshole who stabbed me. That's who. That's that's how he stabbed me ten times. If he would use a knife or a sword, I could have defended myself. But for the first eight or nine thrusts, I just kind of laid there thinking, "What the fuck is happening? Am I being stabbed with a bayonet? Am I being am I being killed by a bayonet in Miami in 1980?" Uh, Griselda also had Mejia's father killed and bombed his house. She she allegedly secretly ordered Darío his brother killed, uh, just like she had Alberto brother, Bravo's brother uh, killed a few years earlier, and she wept inconsolably uh, upon news of his death. <laughs> Man. Uh, unlike uh Pablo Escobar, the Ochoa is another principal high-ranking cartel family, she didn't shield her family from her violence to the drug business. You know, remember her sons were packing suitcases when they were kids. Now they're soldiers. Dixon is said to have been one of the three shooters in the happy time complete party supply van murders. You know, the teenage Osvaldo already ordering around other hired guns. God man, and uh, it's it's crazy that uh <laughs> that, that guy survived the ten stabs too. Sorry, I just keep thinking about that bayonet stab. That's gonna come back to honor, as you will find out. Uh, when you don't finish off somebody with a bayonet The White House is getting sick of all these uh, murders in Miami Cartels are turning the city into a third world country uh, task force is formed by Ronald Reagan in January 1982 Headed by Vice President George Herbert Walker Texas Ranger Bush It was called CENTAC 26 Sentac being an abbreviation of Central Tactical The 26 meaning it was a 26 such task force And it was a joint effort between DEA, U.S. Customs, the FBI, U.S. Military, and Bojangles, three-legged, one-eyed, steel-nerved hound of the suck. Bojangles was chosen to lead based on his work with narco-traffickers and commies in Latin America. Little-known fact, Bojangles is inspiration for Don Johnson's character in Miami Vice. I'm kidding. Michael motherfucking McDonald was the inspiration, and Tubbs, based on James Ingram. Bojangles actually developed a massive coke problem around this time. He went undercover, went too deep. He dated Griselda for six months, and when she, wasn't, uh, when she found that he wasn't actually a drug dealer, she was furious. When she found out he wasn't actually a man, she was embarrassed. How did she not know her man was actually a three-legged dog? All the signs were there. The fur, the ball licking, the not walking upright, the sharp teeth, the red wiener. Bojangles had become a shell of his former self. He'd gotten so into coke, he'd actually had a prosthetic leg of his turned into a pipe to freebase coke with. In the mid-80s, you could often see him passed out or borderline OD'd on some South Beach locale. Dark times for Bojangles. He was spotted at least twice with TimeSuck56 topic, John Holmes, the creepy, abusive, coked-out, horse-cocked porn star who was also in Florida around this time hiding out and avoiding a warrant for the Wonderland murders back in California. Two three-legged cokeheads hanging out in Florida. Real dark times for Bojangles. No. CENTAC-26 was a joint operation formed specifically to deal with Latin drug-related homicides in South Florida. Miami was flooded by federal agents. Local law enforcement finally had more firepower than the gangs did, you know, and they were ready to put up a good fight. And no fucks about this were given by Griselda. Later in 1982, when Chucho Castro, one of Griselda's hired shooters, kicked her son, Osvaldo, out of his house after some kind of argument, Osvaldo was rumored to be a petulant asshole, and the boss's kid, always the worst, Griselda sent Jorge Ayala uh, Her most trusted hitman One of the most feared hitmen in Miami To shoot him And Ayala uh, accidentally killed Castro's Two-year-old toddler son instead Shot him twice in the head Two shots to the head Man, does not sound that accidental Ugh, for a toddler Uh, He would later save the attack The uh, Ayala would He would say At first she was real mad Because we missed the father But when she heard We'd gotten the son by accident She was glad That they were, you know, they were even in her mind. What the fuck, man? Uh, So much for the task force, really cramping her killing style. Also 1982, after allegedly failing to pay cash to Griselda Blanco for some cocaine they had taken out on consignment, Miami coke dealer Alfredo Lorenzo and his wife became the victims of one of Griselda's most ruthless, bloody, and infamous attacks. Three of Blanco's enforcers went into the Lorenzo household during dinnertime, murdered the husband and wife in front of their three kids. Blanco had actually ordered them to murder everyone in the house, according to testimony given later by Jorge Ayala, uh, but he claimed that he made sure that the kids lived. According to the Miami-Dade homicide detective Al Singleton, the son and one of the daughters of the Lorenzo family were found playing with the bloody dead body of their mother. Fuck this woman was brutal. Then a 1982 seizure of $100 million worth of cocaine from the Miami uh, International Airport hangar permanently altered U.S. law enforcement's approach towards the drug trade, bringing even more heat into Miami. Uh, Vice President Bush, under another directive from Reagan, established a South Florida task force and then launched the most ambitious and expensive drug enforcement operation in the nation's history up until that time. Despite this new task force, drug trafficking continued to flourish in Miami. Four years later, four years after it was began, even more coke would flow into Miami. Coke was just too popular, man, to stop it. was a prestige drug, right? It wasn't the drug of, like, back alley junkies. It was the drug of Wall Street. It was the drug of the nightlife, you know, disco, Club 54, New York scene. It was the drug of movers and shakers and people who knew how to have a good time. If you didn't have some nose candy in Miami on a Saturday night in the 80s, you know, you weren't fucking living. You weren't partying. What are you, some loser? Doesn't know how to snort some blow? Come on, let's let's, let's do a few rails. Let's get out and have some fun. Uh, Coke is a good-time drug, and Miami's you know, it's a good-time city. They're having a great time, apart from the murders in the 80s. Business is booming. Condos, homes, new businesses blowing up all over the city. The weather's always warm. The girls are in swimsuit shape year-round. Man, let the good times roll. And then there's Coke, right in the middle of this party. Hardly anyone even thought it was bad for you back then. Might give you the sniffles. Might give you runny nose. Who gives a shit, man? Sniffle and snort, motherfucker. Let's talk about something we didn't care about 10 minutes ago, as if it's the most important thing in the world right now. Well, the next year, in 1983, things took a brief turn for the worse for Griselda. Uh, Dario Sepulveda made the mistake of leaving Griselda and made the bigger mistake of taking her youngest son, Michael Corleone, with him, heading back to to Colombia. Ayala would later claim that Griselda had Dario Sepulveda shot and killed in Bogota with the aid of either police or men dressed up like police. Michael, who came very close to dying in that attack, uh, the same one that killed his father, has, also vigor- has always uh, vigorously denied his mom's involvement, blaming her en- enemies instead. I'm sure that's uh, psychologically easier for him to do th- to do so. Man, three husbands and three rumors of having them killed. This is how she got uh, one of her other nicknames, the Black Widow. And here I thought it was because she had a shiny black torso, uh, a weird red hourglass-looking birthmark on her stomach, and eight very long, very skinny legs ended in points instead of feet. Turns out, uh, I was way off about that. Uh, by 1984, her violent ways had alienated her from the Medellin Coke suppliers in Miami, And from the other local drug lords, she ran up a tab of nearly $2 million to one important wholesaler, a female cousin of the powerful Ochoa brothers. And instead of paying uh, her back when the payment was due, Griselda is said to have her tortured and killed with the help of her son, Esvaldo. This does not sit well uh, with the Ochoas, uh, Ochoas, the Medellin cartel, or anyone else. And six different assassination attempts are made upon her life in Miami. Yeah, it turns out drug lords get super mad for some reason when they torture, uh, you know, when you torture and kill a, fam- a member of their family. They're very sensitive about stuff like that. How reckless was she? How, how do you not think that's going to come back to haunt you? It just shows how vicious she was, man, vicious to a fault. Like, she's in a business of violent, violent people, and even those people are like, man, she's fucking, she needs to calm down. we got to get rid of Griselda. She's too much. She's too violent. She's too violent for the for the drug game. And that violence cost her a presence in Miami, fearing for her life. Now the godmother flees to California. Her sons have been setting up uh, incremental, incrementally uh, over the last few years with a new Brazilian Coke connection. And now Griselda lives a quiet life in Irvine with her elderly mother and youngest son, Michael. I saw some pics of her house there, and it's you know, very nondescript, very just typical kind of suburbs. Just a, you know, just a random 41-year-old Colombian woman and her mom and her son living in the burbs. You know, how strange is that, that, you know, she could have been your quiet neighbor? It it is so weird to me how we just don't know much about or sometimes anything about the people who live right next door to us, you know, in most cases. I know I mentioned uh, uh, her before on this podcast. I think I have. But it reminds me of this little old lady who lived down the street from me uh, in my quiet little town of Riggins, Idaho, when I was growing up. You know, this lady wasn't friendly, but she wasn't that unusual. Just a little 60-something, you know, lady, maybe early 70s. I guess the time, you know, 60s when I was a little kid. Uh, and then she was arrested in her, her mid or late seventies for either a parole violation or sneaking out, uh, uh, or for sneaking out of prison a bit early. There was a warrant, one of those kind of work release things, if I remember right, where she just, you know, didn't return to prison one night after going out and working somewhere. Well, well, turned out, uh, police wanted her because what she had went to prison for all those years ago was for killing both of her kids. She had killed both of her children decades earlier in Texas. There was just a, a child killer living down the street in the form of this sweet little old lady. Man, you just you never know what secrets the people around you are keeping, do you? I want you to think about that when you're falling asleep tonight. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, Griselda was hiding but apparently not retired. She was overseeing a nationwide drug distribution organization ran by her older sons, Uber, Dixon, Esvaldo, bouncing around between Miami, San Francisco, and L.A., distributing significant quantities of Coke in all those cities. By 1985, federal agents who had been looking for her since her New York days since Operation Banshee Finally, you're tipped off to her general whereabouts and set up surveillance on her. They had an informant, a former Griselda employee drug dealer who was serving time in Texas. The FBI got him out under the condition he'd locate the godmother, and he was able to locate her address for them. And on a Sunday morning, February seventeenth, 1985, DEA agents surround her home. And when they busted in her front door, they found the godmother sitting in a room reading her Bible. <laughs> That's a real detail. That's crazy. Who, who me? No, I'm not a ruthless killer and drug lord who bought my uh, brought my own sons into the drug trade. No, 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 way. no way. I know I'm i I'm a harmless little Colombian. I I mean Venezuelan lady. I'm that's what my passport says. I'm I'm not Griselda. I'm I'm Lucretia. Uh, well, Griselda was was arrested by DEA agent Bob Palumbo, who had been chasing her for ten years on drug trafficking charges dating back to the original New York case. And her arrest barely made national news because in 1995 there were so many drug lords. Sad sign of the times, man. Eighties baby, just so much coke. Uh, she initially tried to stick to her story, you know, that she just, you know, Lucretia, just some little old housewife from Venezuela. But the judge basically told her to knock that shit off. You know, we got we got Prince, dummy. We know it's you. This isn't Colombia. You can't just walk, you know, talk your way out of getting, you know, out of jail after getting arrested. Well, Blanco's trial, which began in New York in June 1985, ended with only uh, conviction on one count of conspiracy to manufacture, import in the United States, and distribute cocaine. Despite being accused of several Florida slains, she escaped murder charges, never even charged with them, sentenced to 15 years behind bars. Man, all the shit she did, and she gets 15 years. Her three oldest sons, who had also been you know, arrested, uh, each got 12 years. Well, after going to prison, she meets a man named Charles Crosby, a former small-time crack dealer, 25 years younger than her. And while you know she meets him while yeah while she's in prison in California, and if Crosby's later tales are to be believed, Griselda was still at least marginally involved in the cocaine trade during her incarceration in the early nineties. Uh, you know, uh, Cosby uh, showered Griselda with, with cards and letters, and uh, I think I said Crosby earlier because I, th- I think I threw that through Crosby in his name. His name is Charles Cosby, as in uh, Bill Cosby, but uh, but less of a dirtbag. Strangely, in this story. Uh, visited her often, this guy, and uh, looked after young Michael for a while. Uh, They even managed to consummate their relationship every so often, I guess, by paying guards, let him sneak off. Griselda would sign letters to Cosby saying, you know, your wife or your woman. And her three older sons, when they got out, supplied Cosby with high-grade coke to sell, making him rich, so he's part of the family business. And then, when their romance finally ends, uh, Griselda nearly has him killed. Of course she does. You know, she uses her adolescent son, Michael, to help set him up for an ambush where he escapes with uh, minor wounds. She's a black widow, man. That's what she does. Damn near four for four when it came to killing significant men in her life. Clearly had some serious daddy issues, right? Some bad shit must have happened to her when she was a kid by some men back in the barrio. And, uh, you know, dudes just kept paying for it. Also, according to uh, Cosby, who would later testify against Griselda in a Florida court, she uh, revealed to him a plot to kidnap John F. Kennedy Jr. She wanted to have him kidnapped and was going to hold him hostage until she was flown to Columbia and relieved of her homicide charges. Man. Ah, these people, man. Fucking drug lords. And while all, all this is going on, Miami-Dade Sergeant Al Singleton and his CENTAC 26 team, they're still racing to build a capital murder case against her. Finally pin some of those Florida murder charges on Griselda. And also, while she's in prison, while she is safe from her enemies, her family is not. Shortly after being sentenced, uh, her brother Luis, who ran a garage, is shot to death while working on a car. Her three sons were released long before she was, and while Dixon was allowed to stay in the use, Uber and Osvaldo were deported. Uh... Osvaldo tried to reestablish relationship with Pablo Escobar in the Medellin cartel, but Pablo put a hit out on him. In September 1992, Osvaldo was shot in the leg and in the shoulder in a Medellin nightclub, and then he leapt off the club's balcony trying to escape and bled to death in a hospital. little over a year later, Escobar himself would be dead. Uh, Uber returned to Medellin, initially without incident, followed by Dixon, while Griselda's youngest son, Michael, remained in the U.S. under the care of family, friends, relatives, and at times, strangers. At some point, the Corleone was dropped from his name, and he became Michael Sepulveda Blanco. In 1994, the Miami District Attorney's Office began taking desp- depositions on murder charges against Griselda, and she was transferred to Florida to face him. Uh, Jorge Ayala, right, her old number one hitman, her old top lieutenant, uh, emerged as a spectacularly damaging witness, having had a hand in some three-quarters of the killings attributed to Griselda's organization by authorities. By agreeing to testify against her, he averted a death penalty case of his own. The government charged Griselda with three murders for which they had the strongest evidence, including that of, uh, you know, Chucho Castro's uh, toddler son, and they sought the death penalty. But in 1998, their case collapsed when Ayela uh, was found to have had phone sex with two secretaries in the Miami Dade State Attorney's Office. The scandal uh, so humiliated prosecutor Catherine Fernandez Rundle that she chose to plea bargain with the godmother just to uh, avoid any further scandal and embarrassment. God, that DA, that DA had to have been so pissed with those secretaries like seriously are you fucking kidding me you're having phone sex with our star witness there is an entire city full of swinging latin dick and that's the one you need to mess around with that the one you can't even touch you idiots you fucking idiots uh guess they were fired immediately and uh and how much game did uh ayala have right i can never think how to say his name correctly but how much game did he have man talk about a smooth talker well, in 1998, Blanco pled uh, out, under the terms of the plea deal, to three second-degree murder charges, received a 20-year sentence, and then she'd only remain in prison an additional six years. She got some weird credit for time served for the other crimes. Man, she got six years, essentially, for ordering the murder of three people, including a toddler. True travesty of justice. She should have been executed. In 2000, her second son is killed in Colombia. Uh, Uber was shot to death while leaving a Medellin gymnasium. Griselda blamed Pablo uh, Mejia, her one-time Miami collaborator, the dude she had bayoneted ten times. Yeah, people don't tend to forget getting stabbed ten times with a bayonet. I, I would imagine you dwell on that for a minute. You know, you bayoneted me, you bitch, ten times. Oh, you're gonna get it. You're damn it, you are gonna get it. Every time I scream, my scar tissue hurts. My scar tissue from my many bayonet wounds. Uh, in 2004, Griselda is released as a free woman. She is sent straight back to Medellin. Uh, Papo Mejia probably would have had her killed as well, but he he died in a car crash shortly before she returned home. So lucky for her. Other formerly devoted enemies of Griselda, such as Pablo Escobar, you know, they're dead. Uh, Chicho Castro, the father of the little boy, you know, killed by Ayala in Miami, was back in Medellin as well. But lucky for Griselda, he had somehow, you know, had a had a change of heart. He lost his taste for revenge, and he just kind of stayed away from his old drug life and contacts. Uh, upon returning home, she found her son Dixon, her oldest, in a rehab clinic for coke use. He was a serious coke addict. Of course he was. He'd been raised in coke, man. He was lining his mom's suitcase in coke when he was in grade school. He'd been shooting up people at a mall in his 20s in Florida for his mom. God, that's going to fucking kid up. Uh, Michael Corleone, though, somehow is uh, uh, still doing okay at this point. Reenters her life from the U.S. Michael would end up getting arrested in a Miami Beach Dunkin' Donuts. On two felony counts of cocaine trafficking and conspiracy to traffic cocaine, later in 2011, this family could not just stay away from coke. Uh, police said he was trying to buy five kilos for some hip-hop artists he knew, offering his payment a motorcycle, 10000 in cash, and a diamond pendant necklace inscribed with the phrase, kill all rats. Yeah, that sounds like a coke deal, I guess. Uh, while she had lost her wealth from the 70s and 80s, lost to wars, lawyers, frozen Panamanian bank accounts, Griselda retained many of her old Colombian properties. Doesn't seem very fair. But, uh, but you know, she, she was able to hold on to him. She rented some out, sell others. She was able to purchase a large home in El uh, Poblado, a uh, commune of Medellin, a home in, the nice, you know, in a nice neighborhood that would remain hers until her death. And then after a number of seemingly quiet years, on September 3rd, 2012, Griselda Blanco, a.k.a. La Madrina, the godmother, the black widow, the cocaine cowgirl, the queenpin, so many nicknames, uh, she was killed Outside a butcher shop in Medellin, Colombia at 3 p.m. on a Monday, when two men on a motorcycle pulled up and one of those dudes shot her twice with a revolver. Killed by a gunman on a motorcycle, man, the assassination method she pioneered. Shot dead on the mean streets of Barrio Antioquia, the crime den she grew up in. Who did it? Who killed her? Well, her death may have had to do with the scores of people she ruthlessly murdered throughout the 1970s and 80s. Medellin Papers wondered if Gazelda might have developed ties to one of the small-time drug-trafficking gangs that warred endlessly in Barrio Antioquia. Uh, you know, was she still in the game after all these years when she could have just lived off her rental properties? Was she killed because of her rental properties? Man, she had four buildings in her own name, you know, more under other names. Maybe someone wanted them. Maybe she was loan sharking, common practice in Medellin. Did the few people she'd been living with in her final years, a few people unrelated to the drug trade, some freeloaders, did one of them have her killed? There was this one woman named Carmen who was Griselda's age or just a few years younger who had in recent years become Griselda's constant companion. Uh, Griselda had never characterized their relationship to anyone as as romantic, but it could have been. There were rumors about her being bisexual for years. Uh, The walls of her final home were covered in nude paintings of both men and women, some of them in orgy situations. She was apparently fascinated with orgies. Couldn't find anything that said conclusively she was, like, you know, participating in a lot herself, but probably, you know, she was fascinated with them and she was in the coke game. And She was in, you know, New York in the club days, Miami in the club days. Yeah, probably. Probably probably getting uh, a lot of ass of various sorts. Did Carmen and Carmen's son Franklin and his girlfriend Jessica, who at the time of Griselda's death was seven months pregnant, did they conspire to have her killed, make sure they'd keep their gravy train moving along? I mean, they did continue to live in her house after her death until her son Michael had them kicked out months later. They started driving her car using her bank accounts. That's a little weird, a little sketchy. You know, did Tucho Castro, the father of that little boy killed by Ayala in Miami all those years earlier, finally decide that he he just couldn't let that slide, man? New life or not, just couldn't let her live. Or did her drugged-out son, Dixon, have anything to do with it? Man, he also lived off her. Maybe you know, maybe he hated her for bringing her into that world of drugs and murder in the first place. Man, junkies always want to blame somebody other than themselves for their problems, and she would have actually been a pretty valid person to blame. Well, you know, no one's ever going to probably know. Apparently, based on some sources I read, the local police had had no real interest in finding her killer. You know, despite Medellin being much cleaner than it used to be, there's still enough crime to keep local detectives pretty busy. And, you know, they felt they had more important cases to solve than tracking down the killer of a killer that I'm sure they were happy to have dead. You know, based on the manner of execution, the only thing that seems for sure is that the the life she led, the life of drugs and murder, is what eventually took her down. Took her down after taking two of her sons, taking down her brother, taking down the three main men in her life, whether she killed them herself or not, took out countless friends and associates, left one son a junkie, And the other, I'm assuming, currently in jail or just recently released from jail for cocaine trafficking and conspiracy to traffic in cocaine charges. Now, when you name your kid Michael Corleone, you know you're never going to walk away from a life of violent crime. And when you choose to commit a life, uh, to commit to a life of violent crime, part of you has to know the odds are you're not going to die of old age. Griselda almost made it, man. She almost made it. But then she took a shot in the shoulder, took another one in the forehead at the age of 69. And that takes us out of this time suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. Alright, so now you know the, the, the nuts and bolts of Griselda's story, uh, the basic gist of who she was. She grew up in a tough, crime-riddled neighborhood where life was cheap, and that's how she lived her life. Doesn't make it right, but that's what it was. Plenty of people uh, grew up in those same neighborhoods and turn out fine. Most people overcome the negative aspects of their childhood environment, I would argue, or incredibly resilient as a species. But environment does have its effects, and Griselda grew up in an environment of vice and blood. And instead of rejecting that environment and rising above it, which is a choice you can always make, she embraced it. Clearly, I don't know. That's just what I think, actually. But uh, let's see. What the, let's let's see what the masses think about Griselda. Let's check in with today's idiots of the internet. Idiots. For today's idiots, I perused the comments in a, in, of a video called Griselda Blanco, the Black Widow, Cocaine Godmother HD, posted by the uh, YouTube channel MVV on August 2nd of this year. Already has over 300,000 views. Uh, the video is a bio-channel America's Most Evil Gangsters episode, uh, a biography on Griselda, and it's a good one in my opinion. You know, It's, it's only 41 minutes long, jammed with a lot of info, a lot of testimony. You know, uh, by people uh, who were involved in her case or knew her and you know, or, you know, studied her. I watched the whole thing. Good summary of her life and darkest drug deeds. Well-produced. True crime show. Well, user 12T90LSD25 goes off on quite the rant. One of those comments, uh, you know, commenters who just loves capital letters. He writes, or I guess it could be a she. They write, this hole there, this hole there would be no Pablo Escobar is such... All caps, bullshit. Got to stop here real quick, man. So many typos. This whole there, I don't even fucking know. This whole thing, maybe, instead of there is what he's trying to say? And he he types no, like K-N-O-W instead of N-O. And then for some reason, this I found very uh, unique uh, bullshit, is in both caps and quotation marks, which is very confusing because they cancel each other out. Right, The all caps, I feel like, denotes... One would assume, you know, that you really think it's bullshit. Like, when you put something in all caps, you're really like, this is important. But the quotes suggest that you don't think it's bullshit. Like, like if you say someone's awesome, but you put awesome in quotes, you don't think they're awesome. Now, if you put awesome in all caps, you think they're really awesome. But if you put them, you know, that they're awesome in all caps and in quotes, pretty mixed message. Pretty mixed signal to start your rant off with. A guy who has a Confederate flag in his profile pic. Uh, And then... Again, I say guy. I don't know. There's a Confederate flag in the profile picture. There's no picture of a dude. And then they go off, uh, go on in all caps. She never made to Escobar status such bullshit. They take these stories and twist them. And I know that it was said in Cocaine Cowboys that and the also said that Fabio Ochoa was the biggest after doing research. I found this to be true. Ochoa's Escobar, then El Chapo. All of that was in the caps. All of it. And uh, just a couple commas, but no no periods. Uh, apparently, user 12T90LSD25's period key is broken. He does not use periods. They do not use periods. Uh, all I got out of that was that uh, they've done some research and that Griselda never made it to uh, Escobar status, which, by the way, the documentary never claims, not once. I, I love that. I love when people leave comments where they're outraged by an aspect of someone's content that doesn't actually exist any place other than their head. like Like they've twisted the message of a video they've watched and misinterpret it, and then they become outraged at their own misguided interpretation. And they type said outrage down in barely literate form, (laughs) making it even more confusing. And it's so common on YouTube, where people rant and rail against a video they've just seen, but what they're ranting and (laughs) like raving about never was actually discussed in the video. It's fucking pure insanity. Uh, You did not do any research. You did not do any. Come on, stop it. Uh, But they don't stop it. Uh, They do release the caps lock key. Saying next, Griselda Blanco was too much of a drama queen. She wasn't a very good businesswoman. That's why her and her entire family are dead. And I don't care who you are, probably Escobar was the biggest since El Chapo Guzman. I don't believe for one second that had there been no Griselda Blanco, there would be no Pablo Escobar. That's just plain bullshit. Do the research yourself. Never assume these documentaries are 100% fact. They're filmed and shown for entertainment purposes more so than for fact. Thanks, user 12T90LST25. I'm going to come to you for my facts because you seem to know what's going on. You seem to be a fucking bright, shining star in just a dark field of ignorance. (laughs) Uh, well, I did do my research, and because I did uh, because I did my research, I'm confident that you don't have any fucking idea what you're talking about. Uh, they never said that she was on the same level as Escobar. They never said that. Uh, they never said that you know there would be no Escobar if it wasn't for her. Not not in that way, you know. Like like he just you know he wouldn't have ever figured it out. They just you know they mentioned that uh, she you know she did introduce Escobar to Coke, which is probably true. That doesn't mean she built him into being a drug lord. You know, neither she or the documentary claimed that. So calm down, stop inventing meaningless drama that you that you know that then engages you. And enrages you. Uh, I love that you call her a drama queen, by the way, when you are such a fucking drama queen. All right, next idiot. Uh, User VBS Network, who decides to pivot the comment section into an excuse to release uh, some of their own anti-colonial, anti-white rage on the web. Posting, white people is a motherfucker. (laughs) They are bullshit people. Just look how they came to the United States. This is not their fucking land. We all know that. But as soon as someone else or another nationality do some shit they don't like, they consider us as fucked up. Wow, Where to start VBS Network? Well, first off, not all white people are motherfuckers. Some are just like some brown people are, just like some black people are. Race does not determine motherfuckery. Uh, we can all be motherfuckers, right? it's uh, It's equal opportunity when it comes to motherfucker motherfuckery. And, and actually, this is the land uh of of the white European man, in the sense that Europeans won the battle of colonialism, I'm not saying that's right, right I'm not saying it's right at all, but the indigenous people of, of the Americas d- did try to fight off their European invaders and uh by any and all measures uh, they lost right They were killed, exploited, subjugated again, not saying it's cool, but it definitely happened. let's not pretend it didn't. let's not be kids, all right, but the war is over. Uh, one side won it's just the way things work. And, and then and uh, uh, turning, you know, going after drug tar- cartels into another example of white oppression. Pretty ridiculous. A task force was not sent in to uh, oppress the, <laughs> the drug dealers. It was sent in to uh, protect Americans from coke and not just, you know, white Americans, Americans of all colors. It was sent in to slow the increasing rate of extreme violence, you know, uh, for all the people in Miami. White people have done some fucked up shit, man, for sure. But come on, dude. Capturing Griselda, uh, Griselda Blanco. Not on that list. So, so ease up on the white hate. You're, you, you've become what I'm guessing you hate, uh, which is racist. And then there's user KDOT, who is more asshole than idiot, <laughs> commenting, can't watch because of the buck-toothed prick. Shame. Okay, so let me explain where this comment comes from. KDOT is saying this because one of the sources used in the documentary has buck teeth. All right? And he's on screen maybe 3 maybe 5% of the time. And uh, and K dot K dot can't watch the documentary because of that. That's so that's so messed up, dude. It's just buck teeth. What's the big deal, right? What is the big deal? How does that bother you that much? I, I can see not watching the documentary because like if his face was covered in boogers, right? That would be grotesque and outrageous and very unnecessary and just confusing. You know, you, the whole time watching, you just be thinking, how do they let him go on camera like that? They're they're not even trying. Jesus, clean him up already. Wash wash the boogers off your face, you fucking animal. And why did you put so many boogers on your face in the first place? How did they get there? Are they even your boogers? Did someone else put boogers on your face? Why is anyone putting boogers on anyone else's face? Like it would be so distracting. It would make the documentary unwatchable. You know, I can see not being able to watch it if every time the dude is interviewed, he has a dog on his lap and, he, and he's clearly petting the dog's balls, right? That would be unnerving. That would be unnerving and distracting. Just, dude, why are you doing that? Never pet a dog's balls. Not ever. That's not the part of a dog you pet. There's literally never a good reason to pet a dog's balls. And why do you have to be petting them right now? Is this really the best time to pet your dog's balls? You're on camera. You're being interviewed. This would only make sense if you were being interviewed about why you pet your dog's balls. Is it even your dog? You know, but this guy, this guy just has buck teeth. You know, maybe he can't afford braces, okay? Maybe maybe he doesn't care that he has buck teeth. Why do you care? And I saw his buck teeth too, you know. Uh, I did, obviously. And, and you know what? They were clean. They were very clean. At least he keeps them clean. You know, I'd get the outrage if you had filthy buck teeth. That's just unacceptable. It's like, dude, come on. You know that everyone's going to look at your teeth. Yeah, you know, they're sticking fucking way out of your mouth. You know that. If you're not going to angle them back into your mouth, at least keep them clean, right? Keep them real clean. No, okay, dot it's a petty asshole. I'll watch your documentary, but only if everyone's teeth are fucking perfect. There's two things I care about when I watch a documentary. Accurate and compelling information, presentation of facts, and very nice teeth. Shame. No, shame on you, K-Dot. Shame on you for being a shallow idiot of the internet. Idiots of the internet. 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 All right, so Griselda, the Black Widow, the godmother, La Madrina. I meant to say La Madrina. I don't know what happened there. Not a good person. Very bad person. But an interesting person to me in the sense that she rose to a high level of power, making millions, and running an organized criminal drug distribution empire in a very violent, very male-dominated world. Not a role model. By any stretch of the imagination, but incredible that this little five-foot-nothing Colombian woman, a woman who, you know, by the age of 45, already looked like a harmless little grandma, could do what she did. And and let's look back at what she did one more time with some Top 5 Takeaways. Time suck! Top 5 Takeaways! Number one, it's estimated that Griselda Blanco may have been responsible for approximately 200 murders, authorizing hits on entire families, including a few kids, and probably her first three husbands. Number two, Griselda Blanco pioneered the use of motorcycles for drug hits and then ironically was killed years later by a hitman on a motorcycle. Killed by her own innovation, Poetic Justice. Number three, Griselda grew up in Barrio Antiquia, lived there as a child during the two years that the neighborhood basically was lawless from 1951 to 1953. When you could do whatever drugs you wanted, prostitution was legal, the clubs ran 24 hours a day, and the area's thieves and killers made the barrio their home base. Griselda would live in New York City, in Miami, in Orange County, but really, she was always in the barrio, right? She ended up getting murdered in the neighborhood she's rumored to have murdered others in when she was only 11 years old. Number four, Griselda was so enamored with the criminal life that she named her youngest son after Al Pacino's godfather character. Uh, You know, and this is the life that ended up taking the lives of uh, two of her four kids, her brother, and the lives of both her kids' fathers before it took hers. And her other two kids are felons, and one's continually out of rehab. The money and power rarely last long in the drug game. Griselda started with nothing, and she ended up with even less. Number five, new info. There is a Griselda Blanco movie coming out this January. I got the YouTube link right here in my notes. and You can get all my show notes on the TimeSuck app. Uh, the movie stars Catherine Zeta-Jones as Griselda, and it's now actually a Lifetime movie. Or it's gonna be. It's gonna be in a few months. And this is not one of your mom's Lifetime movies. This is literally the first Lifetime movie I've been excited to watch. I've always made fun of that channel my entire adult life. But this movie looks fucking awesome. Like, good for lifetime, man. This looks like like a female version of Scarface or something. Holy shit. Looks like they dramatized it in all the right ways. I've only seen the trailer, but uh, very, very good. Very good. Nice to see Catherine back, by the way. Always liked her as an actress. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Alright, we did it. Episode 65 is in the can. And you can listen to it, if you don't already, on the new TimeSuck app. Thanks for rating the app, everybody. And the Apple and the Google Play Store. Man, really appreciate that. Ratings anywhere and everywhere just help so much. Especially good ratings, man. Keep those trolls at bay. Uh, thanks to Bit Elixir. Thanks to that team for continually debugging the app, taking in everyone's feedback. Variable speed playback. Yes, I know a lot of you have written about this. That will be a feature coming to the app. Give us some time on that one. Might even take uh, a month or two. You know, because the app team is busy currently working on features for the February 1st launch of the Space Lizard, Uh, you know, options on the app. Got to get that topic list ready for the launch. You know, the one you can vote on if you're a Space Lizard. Got to get the voice message feature ready for that. Send in voice messages to be heard on the Secret Suck show if you're going to be a Space Lizard. Uh, send in topic suggestions, man. Text messages basically via the app. That, that feature is also going to come. It's going to be a feature for everybody. Hopefully pretty soon on that one. A tour date page is going to come for upcoming stand-up and live podcasts to link to. Photos, I'm afraid, are not coming. At least not anytime soon. Not on the app or the website. That's it's a legal issue. Don't technically have rights to them. And and I post a lot of pics anyway at like Podcast uh, uh, on time uh, on Instagram. And and honestly, right now, there's just too much other time consuming content that I got to worry about to uh, worry about pics. So sorry about that. Uh, glad you guys do like the feature so far. I think I think the uh, app is a cool, stylish podcast player. Man, hail Nimrod! There's also little Easter eggs in it uh, hidden there. If you haven't found them yet, there's some places you can tap three times to have the app talk to you, so find that. Uh, More avatar artwork uh, will be coming eventually. I just have Danger Brain working on too much stuff at the moment. And speaking of Danger Brain, by the way, man, there's new Danger Brain merch hitting the store this week. The fifth and sixth generation T-shirts are going to be in, and the first generation hoodie, and the first generation pullover hoodie. Six new products hitting the store, right? And I say say six actually because the the two T-shirts have uh, men and women's versions of them. So pretty cool, man. Keeping a lot of balls in the air right now. Working on a lot of stuff. I hope hope you like it. Yeah, man. The shirts are uh, the shirts are looking good. There's a red Hale Nimrod time suck shirt. There is a uh, I'm just looking at them right now. There's a there's a black Cult of the Curious shirt. Oh, they look really cool. I can't wait for you to see them. Uh, there the, the pullover. It's a space lizard-looking pullover. It's the little lizard guy. says Cult of the Curious. The zip-up hoodie is a black uh, Cult of the Curious, a little more subdued design, but, like, super cool with the atomic uh, symbol on it there. Oh, man, it's just really cool stuff. You're, you have to see them. You know, I'll, I'll uh, have them up, uh, pictures up in the store, I think, uh, as early as tomorrow. Uh, it's Tuesday. Starved elderly moleskin is the rare animal product I've chosen for the fabric on the, on the two new shirts. Turns out if you slowly starve an old mole to death, uh, if you put it in a box with no food or water for a solid two weeks, and then right before it, it does die, uh, you you violently smash it with a hammer while, while playing loud death metal and screaming like a banshee, uh, well, the fear uh, does soak into the frail uh, skin of the mole. Uh, it makes for luxurious fabric. And if all that seems cruel, listen, you know what? It uh, It is. Yeah, PETA is up my ass right now about the shirts, but you know what? Fuck them. I got to go with what's ever best for the customer. Each shirt made from 251% domesticated domestic, starved, elderly, moleskin. All right, the zipper hoodie is made with Arctic fox tail skin. Uh, We trap Arctic foxes with old Pioneer uh, era bear traps and we cut off their tails. And we leave the rest of the fox in the trap to attract other Arctic foxes uh, that we then also trap and cut their tails off. And it takes about 30 tails to make one hoodie. Violent, yes. Monstrous, of course. The will of Luciferina, obviously. But it's how you get a good zipper hoodie, okay? Each zip-up hoodie is made from 400% imported Arctic fox tail. Uh, for the pullover hoodie, I ended up going with hummingbird. <laughs> I ended up going to hummingbird tail feathers. Uh, we catch, we crush, and we pluck the tail feathers from approximately 700 hummingbirds for each and every pullover. So far, we've single-handedly uh, caused three separate subspecies of hummingbirds to go extinct. But you know what? That's what gets you a fucking soft pullover. Okay, each pullover made of 605% hummingbird tail feathers, imported. Totally worth it. All right. <laughs> oh, a little note on the shirts here. Um, the, the size is a little different than the ones previously. They, they are not the Bella Tri blend of the first four generations. Danger brain prefers to use next level tees, which are, uh, also super soft, but, but definitely a slimmer fit a uh, little bit. Um, so get a size up from what you wear. You know, normally they're, they're, uh, between a between a half to a full size up from some some shirts, I go back and forth between large and extra large and tees. I definitely wear an extra large when it comes to next level shirts, but I like them very much. And eventually, I will get more stickers, a new sticker pack, to ship along with merch. I just been so busy, torn like a maniac, getting a podcast studio created, which is what you have to do when you live in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Not like there was an existing studio to use or move, move into there. I uh, got to make it yourself, which I do love, actually, and um, I'm a, I'm a control freak for sure. And, you know, I was trying to figure out a new way of touring. It's going to take a while to iron it out, but hopefully I can get down to doing just like Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, and then just be home you know, the rest of time. And obviously take a lot of weeks off, hang out with the fam, work on the podcast. Uh, as far as the first uh, four shirts, books, and CDs that were in the store, my vendors, as we approach Christmas, are just fucking backed up. I tried to pay more to cut to the front of the line you know, and get, get my other shirts going uh, products, you know, faster, but, but no go, which I, which I do respect actually, but I'm working on all that. Uh, thanks for all the iTunes and Facebook ratings and reviews again this past week, man, we're over 2000 ratings on iTunes, which is incredible. It really helps it stick out, uh, helps more people find the show. Any place, any place you leave a rating is so important. It really entices new listeners to join. Uh, there's so much content out there. I I just depend on you guys to let people know how to, how to find it. I Really like word of mouth and ratings, man. Nothing beats those two things. Word of mouth especially, man. Just telling people about it. Is, uh, thank you guys for letting me know you do that when I see the shows. Also, TimeSuck, man, is getting on YouTube steadily now. Had a lot of big files to upload just because of the back catalog. But it's happening. Putting them up there. Um, special thanks to TimeSuckers G. Witherspoon, Travis Heimer, Scott Schultz, Jen Killian, Justin Adkins, and more for suggesting today's topic. Hope I did it justice. Uh, so your suggestion does not get lost. Please email them to Bojangles at TimeSuckPodcast.com or you know, just on the on the new website, you can just go to the contact the show, and you can send it straight into the new website. That feature is coming soon to the app. Make it—we're working on making it so easy. Uh, thanks to Sydney Shies for killing it on social media each and every week. Harmony Velikamp for man, killing it as well with all the secret uh, suck stuff and the Snapchat stuff she's been doing. Jesse Dobner for his edit- editing wizardry once again. Huge thanks to PayPal donators Daniel Jarvis and Nicholas Uh Man, super generous this past week. Jeez, man. Thanks to, thanks to all you guys who have donated. Thanks to you, those of you who uh, hit the Amazon button to do your shopping. You know, Go through the website. It, all of it helps. It all helps. Okay, bonus episode coming up, man. This Friday, bonus episode 14 is going to be the Oak Island mystery. I'm so surprised. I thought for sure Lucifina was going to swoop down and pick the Night Stalker. Richard Ramirez, that serial killer, he got the least amount of votes. Oak Island barely edged out David Koresh in the Branch Davidian cult compound in Waco. Both Koresh and Ramirez will get sucked at some point for sure, but Oak Island is Friday. And then uh, think about Eleanor Roosevelt after that. Man, it's going to be uh, an inspiring suck a week from now. Be sure to follow the suck on Instagram at TimesuckPodcast Podcast uh, to vote on future bonus episodes. And soon you space lizards will be picking half the regular episodes. I'm excited to see well, you know, where you steer me. You know What will be the will of Nimrod Okay Now let's check in with the Cult of the Curious Time for Time Sucker Updates Updates Get your time Okay, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what this first update is, uh, which episode it's regarding. But I do remember at one point saying that Bill Clinton was almost impeached over a blowjob. I know I did say that, and that is not true. Sorry about uh, conveying what I meant to say incorrectly. Kevin Kuntz and others uh, pointed out that Bill Clinton, or maybe it's Kuntz. Kuntz is kind of a rough last name. <laughs> Kevin K-U-N-T-Z uh, pointed out that Bill Clinton did not almost get impeached. By getting a blowjob in the White House, he almost got impeached for lying about said blowjob, for perjury and obstruction of justice charges. That's an important distinction. And I was guilty of furthering the false narrative that a blowjob is what cost, you know, almost cost Bill Clinton the, the the White House. So that's that's not true. Lying about it is what almost cost him the White House. Okay, Pizzagate. Oh shit. Let's let's get this out of the way. I said last week that I was going to get some angry emails about Pizzagate, and I was right. Too many to include, all of them in this uh, episode's updates, but the gist of them was that I was favoring liberals. Uh, I, I wasn't. I just, I just you know, it happened to be this story was perpetuated by some people on the right, and, you know, just like it doesn't make any sense to be pro-liberal all the time, it also doesn't make any sense to, you know, shy away from bashing some of the things some conservatives have done if they've done some fucking shitty things. Uh, and and I, I just do not buy for a second that these insane satanic pedophile accusations it, it, it truly feels like medieval ages kind of thoughts i i think evil has, has a lot of uh there's a lot of evil that politicians you know commit both republicans and democrats but I, I just don't think it's cartoonish you know it's not some outlandish satanic pedophilia scandal it's just you know it's not some weird illuminati shit it's that feels again like witch hunt stuff to me i think the evil agenda politicians often commit is committed right out in the open right in front of us it's stuff like uh You know, giving giant corporations legal leverage to exploit the common worker, letting citizens bear more of the tax burden, you know, uh, you know, uh, letting huge, immensely profitable corporations bear less of that burden. You know, I I just think I think Reaganomics has been motherfucking us for decades now. I think we should all be focused, in my opinion, again, uh, liberals and conservatives coming together, focused on keeping big businesses from taking over the entire nation if they haven't done so already. Right. But I did fuck up. I didn't relay any of the actual Pizzagate emails As extremely worked up and agitated time sucker Greg Dion pointed out in one of the many angry emails he sent me this week. All right, let's let's take it easy, Greg. In an email with a subject of fake news, sad, exclamation point, Greg wrote, Cummins, I don't care if it's completely fabricated. The dumbass story behind Pizzagate is what makes Pizzagate entertaining. The difference between Pizzagate and Space Lizards is if someone asked me what a Space Lizard conspiracy was, I could go on for 30 minutes about moon-dwelling Space Lizards that would literally grind a dinner party to a standstill in a matter of seconds. If someone asked me about Pizzagate, a bunch of crap about fake news, sad. Well, Greg, I disagree with your sentiment. I think the fake news angle is by far the most interesting angle on Pizzagate. I carefully walk you through how a few fake posts turn into a giant tornado of misinformation and how that could happen about anything. That, to me, is far more interesting. Uh, not sure how that equates to a bunch of crap about fake news, but okay, this topic seems to have triggered you, at least my approach to it. I, and you are right. I should have included at least one example of text from one of Podesta's original emails, as opposed to just uh, phoning it in, as you <laughs> accused me of doing in another email. Uh, actually just copying and pasting emails and then joking about it would, would have kind of been phoning it in, or at least would have been the easiest way to do this episode. But anyway, uh, here is an example of an email conspiracy theorist uh, point to, or excuse me, of, of an email... Conspiracy theorists point to as proof of the pedophile ring. This is the email, uh, apparently that started this entire conspiracy. You know, there was a bunch more after this, but this is like apparently <laughs> like the first main one. It's from someone at the Sandler Foundation writing Hillary campaign manager John Podesta, and uh, it just said the subject is "Did you leave a handkerchief?" And it says, "Hi John, the realtor found a handkerchief. I think it has a map that seems pizza related. Is it yours?" They can send it if you want. I know you're busy, so feel free not to respond if it's not yours or you don't want it. Susan. And then, Susan and Herb. I just came from checking the field house, and I have a square cloth handkerchief, white and black, that was left off the kitchen island. Happy to send it via mail if you let me know where I should send it. And this is how someone interpreted that email. If this is not speaking in code, then it makes absolutely no sense. Not a single person from Podesta's legal team nor mainstream media has been able to offer a coherent explanation of what this could mean if actually pizza, or if it's like actually, I guess he's trying to say pizza and map related. This initial email merely mentions the cloth is white with black, which is then translated by Podesta's personal assistant into containing a map. Handkerchief code for sexual preference is a well-documented phenomenon. Cheese pizza has long been known as code for child porn in pedophile communities comprising the deep web. Oh, fuck, dude. Ease off the X-Files, buddy. Jesus Christ, man. Wow, talk about seeing what you want to see. Creating smoke where there's no fire. This is why I didn't examine these emails, because the shit is mind-numbingly dumb. It's so stupid it makes me very angry, actually. Does this email make sense? No, it doesn't fucking make sense, because it wasn't meant for us. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't include the context of previous non-email conversation possibilities. It doesn't have a glossary of inside jokes and inside references. Right, It's shorthand, which is the way people who aren't childlike idiots are able to communicate with each other. People who aren't complete fucking morons don't need to simplify every message to its most basic and understandable tenets. People don't write messages for the public to see, and they shouldn't have to. I bet people could read a lot of craziness into some of, you know, of uh, all of our emails. You know, they, they sure could with mine. I'm going to give you an example. This is a text exchange, but, it, you know, I just used text instead of email because it was easier to find this. And, uh, you know, I say the same kind of things in emails. This is a text exchange I had with a buddy of mine that I worked with on some reality shows with as a writer. And I'm going to leave his name out of it, and I'm just going to refer to his name as B, you know, in case you wouldn't want me to put this out there because, you know, it's a private message exchange. Okay, here's, here's, I, this is just one screenful. Uh, I could have used many examples. B says, I feel unsafe, Dan, to which I reply, oh, God, no. Tell me where you are, and I'll have the police release an Amber Alert, to which he says, I'm in a Hollywood mobile gas station bathroom masturbating in the men's room stall. Before I came in here, I saw a suspicious Indian man behind the counter. Also, I heard some rap music coming from a car that drove by about 12 minutes ago. And then a little crying emoji emoji, to which I say, The police will be there any moment. You've done nothing wrong. You're safe now. The Indian guy is already dead. To which he says, Oh, thank God. This exchange is, again, one of the least offensive exchanges I I, I could have used (laughs) out of the examples we have. Does it make sense to anyone but us? No, it doesn't. It's a private conversation built on years of inside jokes and references. Right? They just kind of like the inside joke just kept building and building, taken out of context. It looks totally insane, right? It's our little joke world that we created, you know, that we built up because we know each other. their, Their context is what makes this email, you know, text exchange make sense. Why can't more people understand the importance of context? It's unbelievable how fucking socially idiotic so many people are, like people who can have jobs, they can raise families, but they can't figure out an inside joke to save their fucking life because socially they're complete fucking morons, I guess. Well, Pizzagate is a rumor started by conspiracy theorists and it is kept alive by idiots. I'm sure more angry emails are going to come in because of that statement and I will respond to none of them because it's a waste of energy. It's a waste of time. Uh, But again, it's just all my opinion, one that I clearly strongly feel. Uh, It's a huge pet peeve of mine. Uh, this the shit, uh feel free to d- disagree, you know, like iTunes reviewer crack Yo, who posted on december fourth uh on the times uh, reviews, he posted, I was a fan until I listened to the pizza Gate nine eleven episodes i 'm shocked someone who seems so smart can eat up all these official stories and believe every detail from the government. uh eat up every word, i just every detail right I, I just that's that 's what i am doing. did you hear the j f k episodes? Have you heard me real against the powers that be in so many episodes? Far from eating up every detail. Right, I just don't eat up the dumb ones. Uh, okay, all right. Let's end this week's update on a much more positive note. So many of you uh, send in touching, heartfelt, you know, messages. By the way, as I as I'm looking at my notes, there's so many fuck ups in my notes. I do want to say that really quick. Uh, when you look at these PDFs, these are notes that were never designed for anyone to be read. Speaking of, uh, you know, uh, exchanges that weren't supposed to be read by other people, they were never supposed to be read by anyone but me. But I know you guys wanted them, so I've released the PDFs. But they're not like clean. There is a crazy amount of typos. There's a, there's misspellings, there's sentences that are incomplete. It's just for me to get my thoughts down. So there's the gist, but it's never, it was never meant to be like a a book. Uh, I'm not writing a novella each week. I think it's way more written out than people probably expected. But, uh, but yeah, if you're like, Hey man, I noticed a typo on the notes. Fuck. Yeah. You'll notice one in every single episode and you'll continue to do so because I don't have the fucking time to, to revise these things, to make them nice and polished. Okay. So send, so many of you sending these these, these touching up, you know, uh, messages. It means a lot to me when you do. It keeps me going. Man, this is one of the ones that really got me this week. It's from Time Sucker Jennifer. Not sure if she wants her last name released because of the personal nature of this message. It says, Hi, Maestro Suck. I wanted to share this with you because it meant a lot to me. And I think you have the kind of heart that it will mean something to you too. Yes, it did, Jennifer. I am 16 years older than my brother, and we've always been super close. Uh, he fell while I was babysitting him when he was five, and he had brain surgery and survived. Then he refused to eat until I came back from my mastectomy when I had cancer because of a joke I made about being hungry and killing for some chicken breast or something like that and I and he realized I couldn't eat before surgery and he didn't want me to be the only one who felt hungry. Oh, so you guys get a special relationship. He he, he cried my whole wedding when he was 6 explaining in his speech that I was his best sister and how he wouldn't let me uh, get taken away. That's adorable. Now he's 18. Uh, And last year he got kicked out by our mom because he was going to be removed by Department of Child and Family Services. He courageously sought help after admitting to me he was so depressed due to his dad's recent stroke. My mother's subsequent neglect and blame. Yes, she told him he was to blame for his dad's stroke. That's pretty fucked up. And he would play a game where he would sit on the train tracks with music blasting, head down, and one of three things would happen. The song would end and he would move. A car would honk and he would move or the train would come and I guess he would die. Uh, He moved in with me after that, and I expected to be happy, but instead my mom tried to strangle me, then turned my family against me to hide. Um, uh, Sorry, I don't – yeah, there's – my brother missed his senior year because the school thought his life was too much for classes and put him on computer computer classes, and I couldn't talk to them because I wasn't a parent, and most significantly I saw – a marriage that I was in and how much I didn't want him to think it was normal. I found myself, despite thinking I was too smart to end up here in an abusive relationship, which turned into physical abuse from severe psychological abuse when I started to stand up to being told no one loves me that I was a fuck-up who failed everybody. Oh, man, good for you. Good for you for getting out of that. When he spit on me, Jesus Christ, talking about the, the husband here, when he spit on me after Christmas uh, spent alone, my little brother decided he had enough, and unfortunately he lost his 16-year relationship with my ex. My husband was arrested for domestic violence, And is taking it to trial instead of taking a plea bargain to get counseling for a year because he's an idiot. Uh, I know, long story, I'm sorry, but I wanted you to understand all the stress, trauma, dysfunction, abuse, and other crazy fucking issues that we've had to face to bring us to a point where me and my brother's relationship had become broken. He blamed himself for my divorce. I blamed myself for not giving him a happy home. He felt like he had failed to be there for me when I got kicked, you know, when I kicked Mike out. I was so depressed I couldn't get out of bed. I, I got diagnosed with a rare auto, autoimmune disease and possibly cancer, but definitely I'm riddled with tumors and have to go to the Mayo Clinic due to the complexity of it. This would be my 10th major surgery, not counting shit like getting my wisdom teeth out, and I have no one to help me through that except my 18-year-old brother who wants to be a normal college kid. He didn't ask for this. And we found ourselves on a road trip from Chicago to Texas to see our parents. And we were fighting about everything. Every day leading up to the trip, our, every conversation it seemed. Everything was toxic. Our relationship was over, broken, irrevocably. We couldn't understand each other anymore. And I knew I wouldn't get reception in that fucking terrible state. Nebraska, I mean. Not my emotional state. I listened to Small Town Murder and Crime and Sports where they talk about you all the time. And I thought your podcast seemed like something my brother might like. So I downloaded some episodes and we listened. He laughed. We talked about the episode. We still fought. I downloaded more episodes. We laughed more. We talked more. He listened to your show in bed. We talked more about the show, about our life, about how fucking dirty Texas is. (laughs) And at some point, we stopped fighting. But we rolled into Chicago listening to Time Suck. I honestly thought I wouldn't live long enough to laugh with my brother again. If it wasn't for your podcast and our twisted and fucked up sense of humor, something you have to have when when your heart is broken your whole life, I think, I don't know if we would have. I think we listened to the Caligula episode first and I had to pull over because we were laughing so hard about you having to Google fishing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm an idiot sometimes. I wanted to thank you. I am hoping to make it to Detroit with my brother Josh, but I just wanted you to know uh, that without knowing it, you were changing my life this week. You were saving my soul. I don't just mean as Nimrod, God and ruler of the universe. Wow, thank you, Jennifer. That was intense, man. That wasn't beautiful. I'm, I'm so glad this silly fucking show... Could have been some small part, had some small part in helping your relationship with your brother, man. Sometimes I just think I'm a, a mush mouth a fucking moron who, who can't make a decent show, uh, who's just, his brain is incapable. But you guys remind me that it, it matters to you. And, and whether you agree or disagree with all the shit I say, I, I just I just hope it does make you think. It makes me think. It clearly makes uh, a lot of you have written in think. I hope it creates intense discussions. Man, discussions that deepen the relationships we have with those around us, man. It's so important. You know, small talk only gets you so far. You, you just I feel All you engage in is small talk. You, you start to just lose touch with the people you, you live with, you know, in a lot of cases. You stop knowing who they are anymore. Man, talking about, like, real shit, having intense discussions. Discussion when people get mad, get fired up. It's fucking important to have those, man. Just, you know, breathe some life into your relationships. But, you know, it's nice to be able to have someone in your life to talk about everything with. Someone who isn't going to judge you for how fucked up your thoughts may be. You know, that's so important. So important to have that honest, real relationship, and sadly, I feel like it's uh, it's pretty rare. So I, I hope I can I can spread a little bit of that. Well, keep me up on your uh, updated on your illness, Jennifer. I hope you hope you get better. Uh, please get better. And uh, it sounds like you're doing the right steps to to take care of yourself. And keep keep you know talking about all, all the fucked up shit with your bro in this fucked up world of ours, and keep deepening that relationship, and uh, and fuck everybody who doesn't understand how important that it is to have that in your life. I needed that. We all did. Well, that's all for this week. Hope to see you guys in Appleton and Madison, uh, Wisconsin this week. Wisconsin. Uh, Hope you don't join the drug trade. Hope you don't bring your family into that dirty business. Hope you don't get them killed. And for the love of Nimrod, keep on sucking. Dot com slash timesuck.